Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. It's me, your general of the <laughs> army that you're in, and also okay. your mom. I mean, just so you know. What is a movie if not about? Mothers and daughters? <gasps> Gasp. <laughs> oh, Kaylin, I truly dream of the day where you um, say, turn around, and then you <laughs> cut my shoulder and pull a shark's tooth out. That's how we'll know yeah. that mm-hmm. this was really meant to be, that this was some real second act shit going on. Yeah. Yeah. Wait for it. Wait for Yes. I, I will keep my shark tooth in place until the day comes. Thank you. But I will be ready. Great. Uh, welcome to the Bechtel cast. My name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante, and this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using yeah. the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point. Yes. Which, of course, is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, mm-hmm. uh, originally found in her comic Dykes to Watch Out For. A classic. Intended as just sort of like a bit, a joke. And it has since been used as this media metric that has many different versions. Yes. Ours is as follows. Two people of a marginalized gender mm-hmm. must have names. They must speak to each other about something other than a man. Such as a conversation about a mother tearing a shark's tooth out of her daughter's shoulder. That is, that's a really excellent pass because those characters have names and that's a very impactful uh, Mm. exchange of dialogue. Yes. The only reason we say that, as we've been saying for years on the show, is because there's so many movies that people will be like, well, it does pass. And it's like a waitress being like, hi. And then Uh (laughs) Nicole Kidman's like, hi. And you're like, Mm -hmm. what was that? And then then Nicole Kidman says, we come to this place for magic. (laughs) And that's impactful. (laughs) Yes. That's true impact. 
So that's our show. Now you know. And today we have a very popularly requested episode. I think we've been getting requests for this movie since the second the trailer dropped, mm-hmm. which True. makes a lot of sense. And we're very excited to be covering it. It's the Woman King Day on the Bechtel Woo. cast. We are here. We did it. And we have a wonderful guest. We certainly do. Who we found through a piece that she wrote on NPR entitled... The Woman King speaks loud and clear to this Nigerian feminist. Uh, She works in global health. She's a senior fellow at the Aspen Institute. It's Oye Ranke Oye Banchi. Welcome. Hello. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Jamie. Really, really, really thrilled to be here. Um, We're so excited to have you. Same here. I mean, it's my first time recording a podcast, so I'm looking forward to seeing how I do or hearing how I do, Um, Mm. but really lovely to be here. You're going to do great. You're going to crush it. (laughs) Already doing great. can, can you tell us a little bit before we talk about the, um, well, I guess this kind of goes into the discussion of how did this piece come about for you, the NPR piece? It's a very interesting question, and I'm not sure if to give the honest or the not honest view. Um, but I mean, obviously, the woman King came out and there was a lot of chatter on social media and everywhere about this movie about black women mm-hmm. and then I got a request from someone um, at the Aspen Institute to ask if I th- would be interested in writing about the woman king and I, I thought it was a good way to watch the movie because I would usually watch movies like two years after they've been released I'm like <laughs> the last one amongst my friends to watch movies um, but this time, I mean, obviously, there was a lot of chatter about the Woman King. There was a lot of thrill. People were extremely excited. My friends in Nigeria couldn't see it at the time because it was showing in cinema here in the UK, in London, where I live, but not in Nigeria yet. Oh so people gosh. were pushing me from home to go see it immediately and tell them about it. And of course, the opportunity to write about it came up. So everything just, you know, gelled together into one. And then I found myself going into the cinema one night after work, um, again, quite unusual of me. I would usually wait till the weekend, but I couldn't wait till the weekend for this one. Mm-hmm. And then I decided oh, to, yeah. yep, I went and watched the movie, loved it, and indeed wrote a piece about it. And we loved it. And we loved the movie. And <laughs> we're all in agreement that The Woman King rocks. It's really good. Caitlin, what's your, I mean, I guess, like, yeah, what's your history with the movie other than I think we both saw it the week it came out? That's pretty much it. Yeah, I went with a group of friends of the cast, such as uh, Sammy Junio and Daniel Perez. Awesome. And we just went together and we had a blast. And and I'm so happy that it's on Netflix now and is very accessible. Yeah. And I've watched it a couple times since then. How about you, Jamie? Uh, I bravely went alone. I was, um, which <laughs> wow, is how I go to most movies, but I, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I did see it, um, shortly after it came out. It was, it's really good, uh, theater experience when, if you like go at night and everyone's fucking pumped to be there. Oh yeah. It is to quote one of the greatest, uh, film critics of our time, Harry Styles, the movie felt like a movie. It certainly did. It really it felt like a go to the theater type film. <laughs> and there's no getting around it. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought it was a, a really, really fun. Um, well, not I mean, I guess fun is kind of a but there are moments in this movie that are really fun. Like there's such uh, a huge sure. range of emotion. And I can't I kind of as I was leaving originally, I'm like, I can't remember the last time 
I mean, there's a lot of feelings of I can't remember the last time or the first time that I've seen a movie quite like this, but even just a big sweeping historical epic. I just hadn't seen one in a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it, there's just there's so much going on. I'm really excited to talk about it. And I was aware I feel like because this is such a recent movie, there were kind of two waves of discourse that surrounded this movie. And mm-hmm. I, before researching this episode, I was only really aware of one. I was definitely well aware of Gina Prince-Bythewood being, and, and the film in general being shut out of the Oscars and the uh, very, very needed discussion around Black artists in general, but especially Black women being shut out of big institutional award shows Mm -hmm. uh, like the Oscars. Uh, But there was also a historical conversation that I, it it didn't come across my feed on Mr. Elon's website, but um, (laughs) Uh I'm excited to to talk about it after we we talk about the movie, because I think there's a lot of, yeah, I guess just speaking to like the historical epic of it all, there's, I feel like there's, I mean, I can't speak to this specifically because it's like historical epics don't tend to be like my faves. This is kind of a huge outlier, mm-hmm. but I feel like they're largely considered to be like truth adjacent, maybe, but often right not. And we're also about to record an episode on RRR, which takes right. a yes. billion liberties with historical accuracy. Yeah. This movie follows history a little more closely but also takes the titanic approach where it's like this happened but let's introduce some characters who didn't exist yeah right well i'm, I'm excited to talk about it because I, yeah i um we'll we'll get into that in a little bit but mm-hmm. any, anyways i saw the movie i really really enjoyed it and um it's just as fun to watch at home i don't know yeah i'm also excited that it's on netflix and everyone can watch it if you haven't watched it Get your shit together. Seriously. Time to watch it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's just on Netflix in the US, by the way. Oh, is it oh. not in the UK? No, it's not in the UK. Certainly not in Nigeria. So yeah, that's a real shame. Yeah. Um, that it's not freely available on Netflix for the rest of the world yet. Huh. Well, that's hopefully so that frustrating. changes. I know. I know. Rude. Okay, we were just being US-centric. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about it. Classic Americans. (laughs) Bad. Um, Well, shall I do the recap? Yes. And we'll go from there. (laughs) I'm I'm John Boyega. I have to give you permission to do anything because I am man. (laughs) I am Mr. King. Yes, you may. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Why do we need him? Anyways, I mean, we need John Boyega, but why do we need kings? But why do we need kings? Exactly. Yes. Um, I will place a trigger warning for rape and sexual assault here at the top of the recap. The story takes place in West Africa. I believe the year is 1823. Mm. We get some voiceover with backstory about the kingdom of Dahomey and its new king, Gezo. Uh, Dahomey's enemy, the Oyo Empire, has joined forces with the Mahi people And together they have been raiding Dahomey villages and selling captives to European slavers. Right away, like right as the movie started, I don't know, I was kind of struck by like there is like I know that Star Wars doesn't own the crawl, but like there (laughs) is like a historical crawl to give the audience 
just an idea of like where we are and who we're with. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we see a lot of big movies that take place within this time period. And I think it does like speak to how few movies have taken place in Africa whatsoever, because it's like, yeah, as an audience member, I super, super needed that context. Mm -hmm. But if you're seeing a movie that is placed in a similar time period and it's, you know, like a Jane Austen adaptation, they're just like, here we are. Here we are. We're assuming we know where you are because this is the history we prioritize teaching. For sure. Yes. So we learn about Dahomey villages being raided, but the Dahomey have a powerful weapon to fight back, which is an elite army of female soldiers called the Agoji, led by General Naniska. Oh, it's so exciting to see them appear oh, at the beginning. Mm. My Ooh. the theater I was in, they were like, <gasps> everyone was so <laughs> pumped. It's very exciting because the movie opens on General Naniska, who's played by Viola Davis, and her Agoji warriors attacking a group of Mahi men and freeing the people who were being held captive. Mm. Uh, we meet a few of the other warriors like... Amenza, played by Sheila Atim. Amazing. And Izogi, played by Lashana Lynch. They all return to the kingdom where we meet Nawi, played by Tuso Mbedu, a young woman whose parents are trying to arrange a marriage for her, but she does not want to be an obedient wife who puts up with a husband's abuse. Oof. Because of that, she is seen as like worthless and insolent so her father gives her to the king i learned um when i was doing some historical research so most i mean the majority of these characters i think with the exception of the king mm -hmm. and one of the um i think portuguese slave traders um is based on a real person but most mm -hmm. of the the agoji women are based on like sort of an amalgamation yeah but naniska and nawi were those are like references to actual um, Agoji warriors who existed mm -hmm. and were seen, uh, you know, being really good at war. I'm like, I don't know. How, I, was, I, was, I was like, oh, wait, I don't know how to talk about military stuff. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. No, really good at war. That's correct. I mean, say like the Agoji, if they're really good at one thing, it's, it's war. war. And <laughs> making me go, ah, it's exciting. <laughs> So Izogi takes Nawi under her wing. She shows her around the palace and Nawi joins the group of women who will train and basically like audition mm -hmm. <laughs> to become warriors of the Agoji. Yeah. Meanwhile, Oyo soldiers led by their new general, Obaade, played by Jimmy Adukoya, who is particularly vicious. Mm -hmm. He discovers the men that Naniska and her warriors killed earlier, and General Oba is not happy about this, especially that mm -hmm. his men were killed by women, because he's Mr. Patriarchy. Yes. Back in Dahomey, we meet King Gezo, played by John Boyega. Which is great news for, uh, for, for uh, I think, everyone. And our eyeballs, yeah. Yes. We're thrilled. He meets with his council and they are deciding how to proceed with their enemies, if they should go to war or not. 
And Naniska and Amenza are like, hey, um, we should stop participating in the slave trade and focus on harvesting and selling palm oil mm. because the kingdom of Dahomey tends to sell their enemy captives to European slavers. Mm. Meanwhile, Nawi and the others learn about the Agoji, mm. how they're fierce warriors. They are not allowed to take husbands or bear children, but they will be respected. Their opinions will be heard. And we do see them being like revered by the community. Yes. That is something, though, that I feel like, and this is like maybe getting a little ahead, mm. but I'm, I'm interested in what you both think about it. Because I think that like, that was one of the historical issues that when I read more about it, I was like, oh, yeah, like it's referenced in the movie that it like mainly through Nawi that, you know, obviously it's unfair that they are prevented from having relationships outside mm -hmm. of being warriors because we see their, you know, male counterparts having all having not just relationships and families but like access to alcohol and just stuff that like they're doing the same job and not being treated in the same way mm -hmm. but i feel like john boyega's character who is a real man king gazo like kind of skirts around criticism of that in certain ways because like i i historically i guess that every single person that was a part of the Agoji would be considered his wife and like a third tier wife and that that mm. is why they were so controlled in how they were allowed to interact with the world it was still like an emphasis on control um, and it's it's weird because it's like that is present in the story but I but the first time I saw it at least it didn't register to me as like something that was emphasized I don't know yeah, I mean, I have a whole long spiel <laughs> that we'll get to yeah. about the double standard that Nawi does challenge, but nothing changes. And I, I imagine like it didn't change historically. And that's no. why. Yeah. But she does comment on it. Um, and then there's a whole other conversation to be had about how like the Agoji view love and emotion as weakness and you know, that's a very familiar concept, both in like real life and media, but it's often, at least in media, it'll be something that is traditionally associated with male warriors, like the Jedi uh, from Star Wars who are like... Oh, from Star Wars. Oh, from... St yes, 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 yes. Ever heard of it? Sorry. Um, <laughs> the Jedi from where? <laughs> I was trying to think of the name... <laughs> The Jedi, it's the, Je oh, the Jedi Order, which I couldn't think of. So then I said from Star Wars and then I sounded like a fool. Um, so, you know, the Jedi no, from Star it. Wars. It was helpful. <laughs> um, who I think are, except for like the newer crop of Star Wars movies, the Jedi Order have largely been men. Mm -hmm. um, and then also like from Game of Thrones, there's the Night's Watch or whatever they're called. The guys who like guard the wall against the ice people. I've seen that show. I just don't remember what anything is called. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is, that is, um, I mean, obviously, I don't know, maybe not obviously. Uh, I am not a veteran. I have not served. I I have not gone to war. Okay. You're not good at war, you would say? <laughs> I would say I am probably would be uniquely bad at war. And um, I don't dislike that about myself. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I mean, that is like sort of a general 
training thing of like repressing your emotions, which I think is like addressed to some extent in this narrative by like, even though General Naniska feels that it is, and I think to some extent it is necessary for her to do her job, like to compartmentalize Mm -hmm. constantly. But you can also at least get to see how it affects her. She clearly has what I would say is PTSD from combat, from trauma that she has experienced that we'll talk about. And so Mm -hmm. I, I was at least grateful that, I don't know, I feel like most... Well, obviously, most war movies surround men mm-hmm. and white men specifically, and you see all this trauma taking place, but you don't ordinarily see how it affects them down the line or gives that any sort of serious consideration of, of course, how that's going to affect your mental health and just how you interact with the world. Um, mm-hmm. So I do like seeing a, I mean... I guess General Naniska, she's like an active general, like in how her career has affected her. Because mm-hmm. I'm always just like, we got to get, we like, I don't know. In the U.S., and it feels like almost everywhere, veterans do not have access to mental health services that they need. And so mm-hmm. when there are movies about war, I'm like, let's let's show that. Uh, yeah, why didn't General of- Naniska go to therapy? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's actually that was going to be my main point of the. I'm like, mm, you know, what really took me out of it <laughs> is that war generals in 1820 didn't go to see my therapist. Yeah, explain that. Pretty messed up. <clears throat> anyway, so I yeah when I, when I was watching the movie, one thing that really struck me. Well, firstly, I should have said probably about my history to it was. In watching, I try to reflect on life then in the 1800s and life now in 2022, which is when I watched it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the beat about women, the Agoje women not being allowed to marry or fall in love, that has changed in some ways. But there are still some very tricky policies that still affect many women, uh, especially women that are in the army or in the police. Mm-hmm. In Nigeria, for example, mm-hmm. women in the police have to seek permission from their superiors before they get married. Mm. Now, men don't have to do that. You know, a man can just get married and do whatever. Mm. An unmarried woman in the police force has to actually seek permission from her supervisors. And it's just one of those laws that I found. I know, still. I know, I found out and I was like, in 2022, you know. And it's one of those things that people don't talk enough about. You know, it has become sort of the status quo and so you're told that when you're joining the police you know you have to seek permission and so that's mm-hmm. okay but it's not okay in any way and it's just one of the ways that discrimination is shown and it's one of the ways or one of the reasons in my opinion why there are way less women fighting wars I agree with you Jamie I mean wars are not my thing um <laughs> but still <laughs> there's several women and young girls that want to join the army or the police force or you know go to war fight wars or protect their countries but when you think about the discrimination they face um and this varies from one spectrum to another Mm -hmm. but when you think about the fact that you have to seek permission to get married and your male counterparts do not have to do that then that's totally discouraging Mm -hmm. um and it is unfortunate um i would say but yeah yeah god that is so upsetting to hear that that is still the case now that i mean yeah i wow Learning, mm-hmm. learning upsetting things <laughs> on the Bechtel cast. Yeah. Anyways, I was just glad to see that 
it didn't, I don't know, it didn't undercut what a powerful leader she was to see that these years of trauma on the battlefield and outside just interacting with these slave traders um, has had an effect on her. Right. Yes. And that comes across clearly in the film. Because it's Viola Davis. She's uh, amazing. Dotting all over the place. Um, okay, so we've just learned about the agoji and the sort of like freedoms and restrictions that they have to live by. Then Nawi has a conversation with Naniska in the bathing pool where they kind of like size each other up and they both think that the other is arrogant and foolish. Then it's time for Nawi and the others to start training to become warriors. Okay, did anyone think about the Mulan montage when they were watching this? I was thinking about it the whole mm-hmm. time. I had yep. it, I was humming the song. Be a man. Be a woman. Be a woman. Woman king. So there's the training montage where Nawi is learning and improving, but she also tends to talk back and she challenges authority and tradition. She pulls a prank involving gunpowder. Naniska Hilarious. is still... <laughs> Hilarious war prank. And Izogi is still mentoring her and trying to keep her in line. Nawi reveals that she acts out so that Naniska will notice her because you know she's trying to stand out above the crowd and what is that from stand out oh my god it's a goofy movie right oh yes yeah (laughs) god our brains are so broken Uh, (laughs) we just talked about that yeah i cannot remember anything okay so she's trying to like stand out above the crowd max goof style Mm -hmm. and there's also mention of the woman king a position that has not been held by anyone in the kingdom of Dahomey for many years. And of course, when we in the theater hear uh, them say the title of the movie, we begin cheering. We stand up, uh, we applaud. <laughs> As one does when they say, you know, I think this is everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> and then everyone stands and cheers. It's the most famous scene in that movie. Or, you know, when Meryl Streep is like, I have doubt. I have such <laughs> doubt. Wait, but she does. But she does, though. Also, another Viola Davis classic yes. performance. I think she won her, or one of her, like, she won an Oscar for that. Did she? I, did. I don't know how many Oscars she has. That's mm. a question for another day. Yeah. But. She did have such doubts. She did, certainly. Um, (laughs) So there's mention of the woman king, and it's speculated that Naniska may one day be named the woman king. And then soon after, the Oyo general Oba shows up with his soldiers, expecting a tribute to be paid to him. And then we learn via flashback that... Many years ago, he took Naniska as prisoner and repeatedly raped her for a period of time. Um, King Gezo reluctantly pays them this tribute so that Dahomey can continue using a port for trading, which the Oyo have taken control of. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that payment is 20 Agoji warriors, one of whom is Nawi. 
-hmm. We cut to this port where two men from Brazil show up. Uh, Santo, played by Hero Finds Tiffin, who sucks. He's yes. bad. He gets drowned in shallow water at the end, which is pretty thrilling. Yeah, yeah. it's very <laughs> cathartic. <laughs> kind of that that rocked. Um, and then, unfortunately, not historically accurate, but fun mm-hmm. fun at the movies. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we come to this place for magic. We come to this place to see to slavers to be see a colonizer drowned. get drowned. Yes, yeah. Um, with him is Malik, played by Jordan Bulger. Parentheses hot. So they t- they show up at this port, which is used by slavers to traffic people who have been sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Naniska also shows up to the port with some of her warriors. Oba thinks it's the tribute being paid, but surprise, Naniska is like, fuck you, here's some decapitated heads. That's Oof. your tribute. We're cheering again. It's exciting. Yep. That was so powerful. <laughs> that <Yeah>. was amazing. <laughs> Um, then there's a fight between Naniska and Oba, and then the Agoji escape. And because of this, war has been declared between the kingdoms of Dahomey and Oyo. Oh, I mean, I know we're going to talk about this in a bit, but the the fight scenes are fucking incredible. Yeah. They're so good. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not a war movie person, but these fight scenes are so uh, it's so good. I I've read about how the actors trained, trained and yeah. it seemed intense. I poof, good for them. I was like, <laughs> holy shit. Everyone is ripped, shredded, mm-hmm. and and killing people. It's it's thrilling. Yeah, for sure. Um okay, so war has been declared, but before the next battle, uh Nawi runs into Malik while he's bathing in the river parentheses hot again we learn that he is half Dahomey his mother was from there she recently passed away and it was her dying wish that he visit her homeland Mm -hmm. which is part of why he's there Um, so then Malik and Santo go to the palace to watch the Agoji trainees do their final test Mm -hmm. where Nawi wins first place. So she's like the best trainee. Mm -hmm. She and others officially become a goji. Which again, it's like they're done. That's all done with the king's permission. Like they Mm -hmm. are existing at his leisure, basically. Right. Later, when Nawi's wounds from the... um, test like obstacle course thing when her wounds are being tended to woman king (laughs) (laughs) you must be woman king (laughs) keep going going. um naniska notices a scar on nawi's arm and she's like oh yeah i've had that since i was a baby at the orphanage and naniska's like what you're an orphan and she has a very peculiar reaction because we learn that Nawi is Naniska's daughter because about 19 years ago, Naniska gave birth because she got pregnant uh, from being raped and Amenza gave the baby away to missionaries who were passing through, uh, assuming that they would never cross paths with this baby or person again. Mm. Um, But it turns out it's Nawi and she's right there. But they're both like, no, she's probably not my daughter. 
but they're in denial. What are the chances? And you're like, this is a historical epic. Of course (laughs) she's your daughter. So then now we see Malik again. They're flirting. They're into each other. But again, the Agoji are not allowed to canoodle with men. Romantic love is thought to make them weak. And again, Nawi challenges this, but she can't really do anything about it. Mm. And then also Malik tells her that he overheard that general guy, Oba, planning his next attack. So Nawi goes to tell this to Naniska. She also takes his weapon, which is yes. like, ooh. ooh. Uh, parentheses, hot. Yes. So. <laughs> hot people being hot together. I love it. It's what the movies are kind of all about, isn't it? (laughs) That's why we come to this place. (laughs) So first of all, Naniska is like, you shouldn't have been talking to a man. And then she tells Nawi that she was captured and raped and impregnated and that she gave birth to a girl and that before Amenza took the baby away, she made a cut on the back of the baby's arm and pressed a shark tooth into the cut, hence Nawi's scar confirming that Nawi is Naniska's daughter. I had and they are- such, I, I was so, I was like- You had such doubt? No. Did it? <laughs> no, I was just like, how has it not gotten so infected? How is it their tooth's just still in there? I don't know how, that, maybe that, I, I'm like, I'm not a doubt. I'm I'm both not good at war or- Not good at medicine. medicine. <laughs> but I'm like, could, could that happen? Could you have a shark tooth in your arm for, I guess people can like have like- shrapnel and and like yeah i just was i would have thought it would fall pop right out but babies maybe babies heal really fast and it just kind of healed over i don't know (laughs) we're we're so we're so good at we are scholars real women in stem action going on here yes yes yes, yes. Hmm, can Um, babies sustain shark tooth (laughs) we don't know um ronka you work in global health this is (laughs) is right right you probably know the answer to every health question (laughs) i know and that was another really interesting part about the movie every you know the scene where i'm sorry to jump off no the scene where they were cutting themselves and putting blood into the bowl Yes, as a means of initiating them into the agogies, and yeah. all I could think about was, oh my god, that's tetanus, that's hepatitis, because <laughs> they're sharing a blade. They're like using they're the same blade, blade every time. You oh know, they're god. all bleeding. You don't know where anyone's come from. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I tried very much to separate my science and health <laughs> brain <laughs> from the movie because I was freaking out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. That's I like to imagine you, Ronka, entering the scene and being like, look, I know what you think you're doing but I this know. is actually really dangerous <laughs> this is not sanitary no. we could do this not symbolically well. shortly <laughs> right. absolutely um so nawi has just learned that naniska is her mother and they are both very overcome with emotion especially nawi They're because acting. this is oh it is acting they are acting and then nawi runs off crying the next day, Naniska starts to plan and later launches a counterattack against Oba and the Oyo warriors. The Agoji are victorious, but during the attack, some of the warriors, including Nawi and Izogi, are taken prisoner and brought to the port to be sold. Mm. They attempt to escape, but Izogi is shot and she dies in Nawi's arms. And uh, cry, cry, cry. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, very. It's very sad. That scene broke my heart at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Their friendship is just so wonderful. And I really, I mean, it's like I know that that is classic the movies but as i i really didn't think anyone in the main cast was going to die at any point because they were so good at war Mm. and the fact that they did it to maria rambo of all people Mm. sick twisted not right yes um okay so meanwhile back at the palace Naniska is like okay there are these warriors who have been captured we need to go rescue them and king gezo is like no, it's not worth it. So Naniska decides to disobey him and she heads off to the port. She was planning to go alone, but many of her fellow warriors follow and join her. Mm. Back at the port, Malik buys Nawi to save her. And when Naniska and the other warriors show up at the port for the rescue mission, Nawi joins them in battle they free all of the people who have been captured. They fight back against the slavers. And there is a final showdown between Naniska and Oba in which she kills him. Another very cathartic death. Yes. The movie feeling like a movie. Mm-hmm. The Agoji return to their kingdom, having defeated the Oyo and their reign over Dahomey. King Gezo commends Naniska and the Agoji for their victory and he says, says woman king again he says you are the woman king and he says we are not going to be complicit in the slave trade anymore mm. which is not historically accurate oopsies not even close <clears throat> but in the movie that's what happens and then there's a tender moment between mother and daughter between naniska and nawi and the movie ends with the people of dahomey celebrating their victory the end so let's take a quick break and we will come back to discuss focus features presents back to black i want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles experience the music and her story know this i ain't no spice girl like never before that's my daughter that's my amy Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Woman King. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Ronke, is there anywhere you would like to start? What's jumping out for you? I think the relationship between Izuke and Navi is mm-hmm. something that really struck me. And I know I said during the recap, like when she dies, that was, like, I had tears in my eyes. Again, yeah. it's a movie, I know, but it just felt so real. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that jumped out at me because I really loved that hidden love sort of relationship. Well, I don't, I don't believe in it. But it's how I grew up and how many Nigerian and African women grow up in the sense that your mothers and your aunties and I mean, every older woman is a mother and auntie, first of all. Mm -hmm. So whether it's your mother's friend or whoever, um, your mothers and your aunties really love you. But they show you by being hard with you. Mm. You know, they show you by being really strict with you. But deep in there somewhere, they are ready to fight and go to any war for you and with Isoge and Naoi you could tell that Isoge really really loved Naoi mm-hmm. and that Naoi completely admired Isoge and it was just such a beautiful relationship yeah to watch um and with every scene I could feel you know there were loads of unsaid words but you could see from their emotions from uh, the official expressions from, you know, what's the first rule of war? Always obey Izoge. Like, I found that so <laughs> powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a deep yeah. connection between both of them. And so I, I think throughout the movie, I always looked forward to scenes that had Izoge and Naoi, whether mm-hmm. actually congratulating her or being firm with her, which was most of it, or sadly when Izoge died in Naoi's arms. Oh, their friendship was really, really I think like well done and yeah it's like because it's so devastating when Izoke dies because I I didn't see it coming and also Mm -hmm. like yeah you've built you've spent so much time and they've like clearly like learned from each other I think like kind of their last moment together Naoi what is she what is she like she moves a bone Ooh, it's really difficult (laughs) to watch but it's like they are just like so in it together and like in it collectively Mm -hmm. and it's so like one of the things I really liked about this movie is obviously it is a uh, woman-centric plot but you but you get to see so many different kinds of women and so many different personalities interacting you get to see Mm -hmm. it across generations you get to see relationships between women that are I think more like Naoi and Izoki's relationship is like pretty warm as time goes on Mm -hmm. and 
you get to see like a really warm friendship. And then with Naniska and Amenza, you see a different side of Naniska with Amenza than you do when she is being the general. Like you just get to see a lot of different facets and types of relationships. Mm-hmm. And they all felt very like grounded and, and earned. And yeah, you also, you also get to see jealousy, which was um, quite the mix between the queen, whose name I don't remember, but King Gizzo's wife. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, Shantae. And, yeah. Shantae, you Shantae, stay. You know? <laughs> and she just did not want Naniska mm-hmm. to be there. She didn't want her to be the woman king. She didn't want her to, quote unquote, make decisions mm-hmm. for King Gezo. Um, she didn't want Naniska to have authority, you know, when Naniska was suggesting that the Dahomey people stop engaging in slave trade and, you know, she thought Naniska was confusing the king. But it was just very interesting to see one end of love and support and comfort amongst women and then the other end of jealousy and some spite. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. like when there's a character who I don't remember his name. I kept calling him Mr. Purple. Oh, um, I liked also Mr. Purple. Que- queer icon, Mr. Purple. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mr. Purple crushed it. He says something like, oh, yeah, the king respects Naniska because she fought for him in the coup. What did you do? Yeah. You hid in a cupboard. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. But I think that like that dynamic between the two of them is so, it, it's really interesting because it's like, uh, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot recently which is dangerous Mm. um but (laughs) about how like through history how women have had access to power and I guess having to like talk about power as a neutral term just for simplicity Mm -hmm. but like I think between those two characters you have like probably the two available routes for women in this culture as it's presented in the movie to gaining any Mm -hmm. sort of power or influence over Mm -hmm. what happens in their lives. And yeah, Shantae gains it through marriage, Mm -hmm. um, which I think, I mean, and even we've been guilty of this over the years, like modern feminists don't always, and they're like, well, she just, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, there's literally kind of the only option, nothing you can do. (laughs) Um, And it does seem like Shantae wants a seat at the table in terms of decision making Mm -hmm. and resents that General Naniska takes that role, which I think honestly, based on what we see, General Naniska probably uh, should be at the table more so than Shantae mm-hmm. but then it's also like well why can there only be one woman at the table that has everything to do with the patriarchal structure that they exist inside of and right. I liked I, I felt like that um I don't know I mean I think you could argue that Shantae is made out to seem a little silly um but she does I think by the end like get her I don't know I guess I'm curious what you what, what do you both think about that like because at the end kind of the last we see of her is being upset that Naniska has gotten the seat at the table that she has not been. We've seen King Gezo speak pretty negatively of her. And also, I mean, there's like that one, that one exchange where he, you know, I I don't remember which villain, but I I think maybe the the Portuguese guy, they're they're having a discussion and the villain references, well, Shantae told me that this yeah, was the plan. It is Santo, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're having, I'm like, he gets drowned. I don't have to remember his name. Uh, but 
in any case, uh, you know, King Gazo has a very negative reaction to hearing that Shante has asserted herself in any way, shape, or form, and mm-hmm. says that she will be punished for having done that. And yeah, like He's, he said something like, "She does not speak for me, and she will be punished for thinking that she does." But doing that, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think like it's it is obviously like the filmmakers and the writers are well aware that Shantae is also in a very limited situation with what she is able to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I kind of wish that we got a little more of her because, yeah, I think that like clearly like the movie has a clear and necessary agenda to uplift Naniska. But it felt like a few times they took jabs at Shantae in order to be like, well, clearly Naniska deserves uh, power. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes. But why do we have to kick Shantae to make that point? True. True. Yeah. But then Shantae was one of dozens of wives, I think. He did have many and she wives. Was, yeah, probably, yeah. But technically, General Naniska is a wife, too. Like, yeah. But not in the same capacity, because it's referenced yeah. that the uh, Agoji are... Celebrate. Virgin. Like, they're not, yeah. like, engaging in, like, sexual... <laughs> activity with (laughs) the king so they're like relationship with him but in a far different capacity they are both completely at like under his control Mm -hmm. but yeah in different in different ways today i didn't realize um um, angelique kijo is in this movie when she plays one of the i know i i only realized the third time the third time i watched it that's when i realized that she was one of the members of the king's cabinet loved and that I was like, yo i know <laughs> i know <laughs> she's credited as the munin yeah which i don't know what that means but i kept seeing it as the minion and i was like wow oh. what a crossover there's, there's gonna be more <laughs> minions, the minions. I'll, I'll bring up minions later as well um right would the minions work for the woman king you know well it's because we one of the people who conceived of the story for this movie's name is uh maria bello bello Oh, oh my God. (laughs) Ronke, we're so sorry that we have a Minions problem on this show. But Minions and Shrek. Things tend to come back to the... (laughs) It's just, we're just very cultured. Um, All this to say uh, is that I love that the there's such a strong emphasis and focus in this movie on female relationships of yes. many different types. We see a large spectrum of what a relationship between women can look like. We already talked about the friendship between Nawi and Izogi, as well as the friendship between Naniska and Amenza. I was also getting some queer undertones there. I think you could easily read that as a close friendship, but I was getting some vibes. Oh, that they are lovers. You know, fanfiction.net is like popping off with a lot of these. Uh, yeah, yeah. These I'm not saying characters. anything new here, but I just want to say I, I too felt the vibes. I, I guess, like going back to Shantae and Aniska, I like. I, I liked when the women of this story were in conflict with each other because that's like a mm-hmm. very clear mm-hmm. grounded conflict for the time and place that this movie takes place in. And even with like Naniska and Nawi, they're in conflict for almost the entire movie. Definitely. But it is like it's so, so well written and directed and performed that it, there's like always a feeling of mutual respect. And they're basically like challenging each other. And by the end, it's like, Naniska, if she hadn't seen Naoi being Little Miss Rebel the whole damn movie, <laughs> she wouldn't have done what she did at the end. And it's just, mm-hmm. 
I like it. I like it. I was going to say, you know, the scene where Naniska took the decapacitated heads to the Oyo Empire mm-hmm. and then she asked them to leave and then now we went back to save her. Yes. But instead of a thank you, <laughs> she got towed off mm-hmm. and, you know, it was very interesting because I kept wondering, did Naniska really feel upset with Nawi or was that some, again interesting form of hiding your emotions and you know deep inside you're proud and you're happy and you're grateful but you have to show the powerful general mantra mm-hmm. where you know you're upset for dis- disobedience so yeah that was that was quite interesting in terms of that relationship their dynamic felt like between mother and well yeah who we learn are mother and daughter <laughs> um, via shark tooth wound um, <laughs> it felt like i mean there were a lot of moments in this movie and I feel like generally positive but we'll we'll get back to it but um that felt like a very kind of modern dynamic even though it's clearly rooted in history but the generational divide between the two of them felt pretty like modern and easy to relate to mm-hmm. um if you've ever had a parent that felt they had to push down their emotions mm-hmm. in order to navigate the world more effectively or especially you know, in marginalized communities. And I mean, I'm thinking about honestly, like my own Irish Catholic parents where it's, there's a lot of, um, you know, just compartmentalizing and feeling that that is Mm -hmm. the only way to navigate the world successfully. And it's clear that um, Naniska has internalized that and that it has served her well in what she does. It's not like the movie makes this out to be, you know, a, inferior way of navigating the world but i love that you have nawi as an alternative to that where nawi wants the freedom to feel things freely she wants Mm -hmm. to have relationships if she wants to have relationships and it's i mean what it's she's she's trying to have it all (laughs) but unfortunately (laughs) which is like difficult right well one thing i was going to say is that um it felt like before they knew they were mother and daughter, they had a very mother-daughter relationship dynamic already. Oh, yeah. Where, like, to your point, Ronke, when Naniska is upset with Nawi that she, like, stayed behind to help when they were launching that, like, surprise attack, I feel like you could read that as Naniska was upset, like, oh, you staying behind could have gotten you killed and I wouldn't want that because I love you like you're my own (laughs) daughter and it turns out she is our daughter um (laughs) yeah I think that that relationship was just like built out very cleverly and I to speak to this sort of like compartmentalizing of emotions and that whole idea that the agoji hold that you can't have relationship like romantic relationships you can't have a family and bear children um to show love and to show emotion is a sign of weakness and that's something that Nawi challenges one she like challenges the double standard of well the male soldiers the men warriors are allowed to mm-hmm. you know have wives and have families why not us mm-hmm. uh, and then you have I think at one point, Zogi is like, you know, I'm going to be general someday. I can't have love. You know, I can't have both things because um, mm. Navi's like, if you never loved before, 
And she's like, no, women can't have it all. Um, which... <laughs> and you're like, oh no, the classic no. conflict. <laughs> and I think like in a more historically accurate ending, even though it's framed, there's a lot of joy in the way this movie ends and there is a celebration and um, Naniska is given the woman king like role that we have been rooting for her to have the entire movie. Mm-hmm. But it, But in the end, it's like, no, we can't have it all, which is unfortunately Mm-mm. how it ends for a lot of <laughs> a lot of women. Yeah. Um, where she does the oh, I'm I want to like I wonder if there's a term for what this is, but when because we haven't talked about the relationship with her and Malik yet, but that like meaningful glance of like this has run its course. It's almost it almost reminded me of like. <laughs> at the end of the dark knight rises where batman sees what's his name Joseph the butler. Gordon oh no the butler and they're like yeah okay well see ya like it's the the just like well we this relationship needs to be done because the movie's over so we're just gonna have them have a little a little look yeah mm-hmm. a look goes a long way sometimes um, but she doesn't get the relationship that she i mean it and it didn't need to be that relationship but like she isn't able to have it all but i right. like that she is which is you know historically accurate right um though i will say so again like Nawi challenges this idea that like to express emotion and to feel love equals a sign of weakness and mm-hmm. she's like that it's not true. Like I can still be a good warrior and love somebody. And it, it feels as though mm-hmm. Naniska comes around on this and it's not on like romantic yeah. love, but familial love where like, I think she was like holding herself back from like loving her daughter that she found out that she had. But then with that tender moment between them in the end where, you know, she's apologizing and they're both like just kind of reconciling and recognizing their relationship and what that means for them and they're like letting love in it's so that ending scene with them is really beautiful Mm -hmm. i really loved it where they're yeah they're like yeah they're apologizing to each other but it's not i don't know it's like such a you're like oh two women apologizing to each other but (laughs) it feels but they're like it it kind of boils down to like I'm sorry that the world is the way it is, and I'm sorry that right. society is stacked so much against you and against me. But that doesn't mean that we can't love each other, mm-hmm. and that is beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, let's take another quick break, and then we will come right back. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu and we're back and I want to quote and paraphrase a piece in Refinery29 entitled The Woman King Severs the Strong Black Woman Trope for Good Mm -hmm. by Kathleen Newman Bramang which kind of speaks to this as far as like the withholding emotion or suppressing emotion, but then particularly Naniska kind of having a character arc where she lets emotion (laughs) happen, um, which is something I need to learn how to do sometimes as well. So (laughs) hashtag relatable. Um, But in this piece, Kathleen talks about a trope in media and an expectation in real life that black women have to be so strong and resilient. Quote, quote unquote, strong black woman, TM, She's the epitome of resilience and perseverance. She's an overachiever with an infallible moral compass. Her strength comes from having to overcome unimaginable adversity that would break anyone else, but not her. It is her most defining characteristic, unquote. And then the writer goes on to say that a lot of people have rejected this trope and this expectation, which has led for this like push for softness. And so I'll share another quote. When strength has been the default, the requirement and expectation to be soft is a quiet defiance of a burden we never asked for. For some black women to say, that's enough resiliency for me, can be a revelation, an exhale of freedom from the presumption that our worth is measured in how well we endure oppression 
that our only value is our high tolerance for suffering. Mm -hmm. On its surface, the woman king seems like another addition to the strong black woman TM canon. The film tells the story of some of the fiercest warriors in history, the Agoji. Of course, they're strong. In the opening battle scene of the film, Lashana Lynch's Izogi takes down her opponent by gouging his eyes out with her nails. With a piercing rally cry, rallying cry, these warriors race into war with sharpened machetes and no fear. We have never seen black women be this strong on film. The closest we've come is the Dora Milaje in Black Panther, a fictional army that was based on the Egoji. And yet, as physically adept and mentally tough as the Agoji are, they are also full human beings who experience other emotions than fortitude. I said that so weird. Fortitude. (laughs) Ooh, Professor Durante. Fortitude. There we go. Their strength is a fact, a basic requirement of their job, not a replacement for a personality. The piece goes on. It's really excellent. I recommend reading it. Um, I just want to share one last quote from Sheila Atim, who plays Amenza. She says, quote, Strength has been weaponized against black women. As much as it is a positive trait to have at times, it's also something that has been placed upon us to prevent us from having the agency to feel anything else and to be anything else. What I love about this film is that it says you can be all of those things within the spectrum of strength. You can also be vulnerable. You can find strength in others. I think that's really important for us to see because the strong black woman trope is still prevalent out there. Mm -hmm. And I want people to be able to understand that they can feel the full spectrum of what it means to be a human being, unquote. Which I think all of that just nicely sums up that conversation we were having about the female relationships and the kind of nuances of them and whether or not showing emotion equals weakness all that it's like an active question and yeah and like when um the the fact that that is like kind of an important question as the um without shaming Naniska and knowing that she comes by this mentality honestly but you know it's a good historical epic precedent because I I feel like that is again like this is an outlier in so many ways but even just with that mentality of like being emotionally open is not a weakness and is in fact a strength Mm -hmm. is something that still feels like kind of rare uh, in in movies in general Mm -hmm. yeah and you know given that the movie was a mix of or an amalgamation of fiction and um, the writer's ideas. I It was one of the things that caught me as well. I don't think there would have been any harm in the overall plot if we had one soldier, one of the Agogis, who was soft and, you know, showed emotions mm-hmm. without necessarily being seen as weak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I really enjoyed reading that article on the strong woman trope for the black woman and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just felt like it was one of the things I would have really loved to see. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's indeed not reality that you find many, you know, most successful black women are seen as strong and powerful. But when you read their histories or their biographies, you know, Viola Davis, as Viola Davis, not General Naniska, or Michelle Obama, or Oprah Winfrey, 
now they tend to come out in their books at least as vulnerable and soft mm -hmm. and they talk about how they've had to show up as strong women but that's not the lives they want to live in many cases um mm -hmm. so yeah i feel like that's one of the things that the writer could have weaved in somewhere yeah. into the movie Th there was the girl that was from the mahi i think community mm -hmm. yeah and she hardly spoke yeah and she was calm but she was really strong i mean she she came second after Nawi in the Agoje um, competition, mm -hmm. the competition or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, she was a bit close to it, but we hardly heard her speak. And then at the end, she got killed. Um. Yes. Right. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I didn't, I honestly didn't even register that. Yeah, because I think that, like, Nawi is sort of our main analog into that mentality, but she's, Absolutely. like, punished for it a lot before it's... And oh man, I also I Wait, wonder now if I'm like justice for that character. I know. <laughs> yeah, I well then there's another character named Fumbe who is good friends with Nawi. Mm -hmm. Is she the character who says something like, "I don't really want to stay and be a warrior, but I have nowhere else to go." Yes, and yes. so she. I feel like maybe they could have explored more like softness with that character too, especially because she's not gung ho about being a warrior and but i also that's another friendship i really liked and i yeah i think maybe if that had been explored further did fumbe not die did fumbe die oh i do i i was losing track <laughs> of who was getting killed i don't think she died did she wait no i don't know if we see her in that final battle wait that's <laughs> that's not fair there i mean there's a few things toward the end of the movie where you're like huh 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 there's a lot of loops closing kind of rapidly so i feel like i right. lost track of a couple characters i honestly forgot by the end i was like oh yeah malik right can we talk about that really quick what did yeah. we think about the the romance in this movie i didn't hate it <laughs> i didn't love it i didn't love it i would say but I, here's why i didn't hate it she challenges him in a lot of ways. She's like, you, you're a slaver. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm just here because I, my mom wanted me to be here. I'm just hanging out with slave traders. And you're like, we're going to need a better, <laughs> mm -hmm. I think we need a better answer. Yes. But um. Maybe I just like him because he's hot. But uh, <laughs> that's entirely possible. But he um, seems to respect her. I also, I, what I think I like about it is that I appreciate that the movie didn't feel the need to keep them together forever. Yeah. They had this short romance. I'm pretty sure they have sex in that like hotel room or something, I think it's wherever they are. Implied, yeah. But, and then they go their separate ways. And he's like, come with me to England. And she's like, um, pass. So I appreciate, because I feel like most movies would be like, well, they, like each other and they had sex one time so now they have to be together forever right right and and i feel like there's also i don't know like because it seems like there are a number of agoji soldiers that are like again like women often are like valued and prized for their chastity and mm -hmm. that is like elevates their value as a person they're so chaste and they're virginal and all this and and like just <laughs> i do like representation of losing your virginity and then being like and now it's you know the next day and i'm moving on with my life and yeah. it's like not like this huge thing that is built out to be right i guess I, I don't know yeah i i liked what the relationship represented 
which was like to me like Naui saying like well no fuck what the king says about how I can like I'm fighting for him every day and I can't have a boyfriend like Mm -hmm. get a life (laughs) I like that uh, as like symbolic uh, like an act of defiance as as, like symbolic rebellion yeah yeah because usually I don't think you usually see a heterosexual relationship as an act of defiance Um, right but it is in this and it like does symbolize and I I agree with you Caitlin I like that it ends and it now he's not gonna throw away this community and this newfound family and literal like literal and symbolic Mm -hmm. family to move to England with a guy she had sex with one time like (laughs) honestly that's that's good that that I was like she was right about that because sometimes I'm like yeah I'd move to England with someone I had sex with one time um (laughs) but but what I what I didn't love about I don't know I just I the actual relationship I was not super wild I think it's just like she's too good for him yeah (laughs) for sure like but he's also he's like the least worst man in the movie because all the other men absolutely are horrible and I do appreciate that the movie is not shy about saying like look how awful men can be I feel like they still let John Vega off the hook a little bit but yeah Mm -hmm. I just didn't love I didn't love Malik because obviously uh, now that the Barbie trailer has come out all I want to say is she's everything he's just Ken and that's kind of how I feel about that relationship (laughs) like now he is everything Malik is just Ken like he's I I wouldn't even say he's I mean I understand like they the script and the story contextualizes his predicament Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to oversimplify it but ultimately he is still you know hanging out with slave traders yeah and uh, like now we she's everything he's just Ken it's true is how I feel about (laughs) the relationship I don't know what did what did you make of that Ronke I felt the same way too. I was really hoping that at the end of the movie she wouldn't choose to get on the boats with him. Mm. That said, um, I also <laughs> admired how much he seemed to love her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fighting for her, especially at that scene with Izogie where they were being sold or, you know, yeah. the highest bidder was looking at um, how much they would cost. And then he came and disrupted the whole thing and yada yada. And he disrupted their plans to escape up whatever anyway um but you know he was really he was ready to put himself on the line Mm -hmm. and then obviously a white man killed that means real trouble trouble for the dahomies and the oyo empire people Mm -hmm. um but he still kept naui in his room that seemed a bit unrealistic to me i mean how could he have kept her in the same compound where the very angry people were and right couldn't yeah. overtake yeah. him <laughs> kind of half-baked um, plan and he's not a fighter exactly um so yeah it, it was interesting to see that um but in terms of their love um yeah i really liked that now we sort of stood her ground she dictated how she wanted the relationship to be you know mm-hmm. there were times where she was soft with him not a lot but there were also times where she stood up to him mm-hmm. and quite boldly to and again, I would say I, I was really scared at the end, Jamie, like you, that she would just up and go with him. 
especially when he offered her a dress. I thought that was the start to, or oh, now that she wears the dress of the Europeans, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she would become one of them. Um, but thankfully she didn't. Um, so yeah, that, that was quite intriguing to watch. Yeah. And, and not unusual, to be honest. I mean, again, linking it to today's world, there's a lot of Europeans or Americans or whatever who go to America, to African countries to, um, whether it's for wars or for business or for tourism, pleasure, whatever it is. And then they fall in love. You know, it's, it's a usual story. You fall in love with a black woman and there's, you know, controversies around whether you can date a black woman or not or an African woman. So it wasn't, it wasn't intriguing in the sense that, yeah, this is the normal world and this is what we see every time. But I loved the twist where now we did not let herself get swept off her feet because of him. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't show like she didn't show that she was intrigued by being admired by a white man mm-hmm. or a slave trader or a mixed race man. Um, whatever you want to be as. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I hope that like if this I don't know. I, this doesn't really seem like this. Most historical epics don't have sequels. But I'm like, I hope, you know, like if headcanon, you go like a couple years down the line in this story that now we would feel more comfortable to explore a relationship with maybe someone who wasn't a slave trader. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> just an idea. But yeah, and that hopefully because because Naniska has gone through this transformation and is is more open to emotional vulnerability and the sort of, I guess, like quiet emotional rebellion that she is able to do, that she would be accepting of that. Because it was like, yeah, now, we, like, I don't know. I think it's so, I've been thinking about this a lot <laughs> lately, but like, I think it is such a trapping of like modern feminism to say like, I don't need a man or even a partner because I can provide for myself, which is true. And like mm-hmm. is now not as accessible as it should be uh, still. Mm-hmm. But I think that sometimes it is like a little like demonized to still want partnership, even though you can provide for yourself in a way that has not been historically possible before. Mm-hmm. And I like that now we, um, again, it's like, I think, I mean, it's funny because I feel like we, we keep um, applying the woman king's like 1820 premise to right now but i think that the movie wants you to do that mm-hmm. um in a lot of ways and i don't know wait i have i have two roads we can go down okay. if either of you are interested okay uh i love oh man i love talking about movies um okay <laughs> we can go down the history route or the production route the two two roads of discourse lay in front of us i mean we we will get to both eventually yes let's do history first yeah. okay so did i did either i mean i I think part of why this movie is very, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why this movie is, it's important that this movie was made. But one of them is just, this is an area of history that in my, you know, Massachusetts public school, I did not learn about African history really at all. It's so, I just didn't know. And it was not prioritized in, I think, American education across, I mean, American education, how they teach history. Uh, it seems like it's still somehow getting worse, which is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. But this was an area of history that I 
didn't know anything about. And so I was excited, especially where the movie starts with context that, like we were saying, like I definitely needed Mm -hmm. to place you in, in this world. I was interested to read, I don't know. Yeah. Did either of you know about any of the history of the Agoji before seeing this movie? I did not, no. Not of the Agoje for me. I did of the Oyo Empire because the Oyo Empire is now in modern-day Nigeria. It's now a state Mm -hmm. um, in modern-day Nigeria. So I knew of the Oyo Empire, but not of the Agoje, which is a shame to my history teachers as well. (laughs) I would have loved, because I would have really loved to learn about, not to distract from the story, but I would have really loved to learn more about historical feminism in Mm -hmm. Africa Yeah. while I was still in high school. And not, you know, when my life has gone through turmoils and I'm like, oh, wow, there were actually women in the 1800s um, right. who were fighters. But that, that's, a, that's another <laughs> story. But short answer, no, I never heard of the Akajias before the movie. <laughs> it's so true, though. I feel like they're, uh, it reminds me of our, our friend Margaret Kiljoy has this amazing podcast called Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. And the whole, like, mission of it is to, yeah, like, bring figures that have been buried by historical quote-unquote disinterest and like Mm -hmm. bring them to the forefront and be like no (laughs) women have always been fucking cool and like (laughs) they were cool people which doing cool cool stuff so anyways i was as i was watching the movie i was like wow there are so many parallels to uh, discussions we're having in the west today and i it turns out that that is sort of by design because um this movie for as much as i enjoyed it and as much as it seems like everyone who saw it enjoyed it there has been a fair amount of criticism about its historical accuracy and almost like prioritizing making sure it speaks to a western audience not just a western audience but Mm -hmm. a western audience's understanding of slave trading versus historical accuracy of what was actually going on at this time and I don't like I don't know it's I'm going to quote from a New Yorker piece by Julian Lucas who sort of unpacks this Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there are there most reviews of this movie mention like yeah it's not super historically accurate but like it's fucking amazing. It's the woman king. So mm-hmm. relax, um, which I think is a, f- a fair stance to take. And I also think that, you know, it name a historical epic movie that is like known for its historical accuracy. It's not right. really what the genre is known for. And I feel like it almost has like like any subgenre, but like almost like a horror movie thing where it's like yeah this historical epic is being made in this specific time for a reason Mm -hmm. so it's probably trying to speak to people about something specific but um okay this is from the new yorker piece uh quote the woman king has been billed as a powerful true story but one wonders what kosola and hurston uh one of america's first black woman filmmakers uh he's referencing zora neale hurston and Alule Kosola, um, mm-hmm. two writers and filmmakers. But one wonders what Kosola and Hurston, one of America's first black women filmmakers, would make of its narrative. For one thing, King Gezo was not a reluctant participant in the slave trade. He fought hard to preserve it from the British, formerly his favorite customers, who blockaded the coast and unsuccessfully lobbied for abolition at his court. His defeat of Oyo led to an explosion in the number of slaves sold at Oida. 
a commerce that he zealously defended, once giving a British envoy a six-year-old girl as a gift for Queen Victoria. Nor do I know of any evidence that the Agoji ever resisted the trade. Some used their voices to clamor for war in the royal council, expressing on one occasion a preference for invading weaker neighbors. Quote, if we fail to catch elephants, let us be content with flies, unquote. The film's conceit is charitably an elaborate exercise in wishful thinking. Wouldn't it be nice if Dahomey's brave women warriors had also been fighters for justice? Defenders of white supremacy have often exploited these uncomfortable truths. Apologists for the slave trade once used Dahomey's bloodthirsty reputation to claim that they were rescuing their victims from human sacrifice. Uh, Imperialists used similar rhetoric to justify colonial conquest as a form of abolition. In reality, though, African forms of slavery didn't compare with the radicalized industrial variants that Western empires unleashed upon the world, unquote. Mm -hmm. So all I to say, I mean, this is, again, like we, none of us knew this history specifically, and I kind of assumed that this movie would skew more historically accurate, which is like, maybe not fair of me (laughs) to like... And then he he goes on to suggest like, well, if you wanted to emphasize the uh, power of the Agoji, they could have chosen this period versus the period that they chose. Because mm. it seems like in this moment specifically, um, certainly King Gezo, I don't know, like reading because I watched the movie and then learned the history and then watched the movie again. And the ending scene with King Gezo does not go down as well once you know that the historical figure was actively participating in the slave trade enthusiastically the entire time for personal profit and was very complicit in the subjugation of his own people. And then you have John Boyega being like, abolition now. And you're like, what? (laughs) Right. So yes, there were liberties taken with history as we've said a lot of historical epic cinema does i mean that's a really big liberty (laughs) huge liberty i guess i wonder what would the value have been to depict history exactly as it happened in this instance and that way you have this movie about these warriors who are like not necessarily fighting for justice they're just fighting to like uphold the status quo of the slave trade and then you have this king who's like yeah let's keep being slavers and then that's yes that would have been historically accurate but uh do we need a movie about that i guess in 2022 i I totally agree i mean i totally agree i just uh i don't i mean i don't have a good answer for that i think that this writer tries to suggest different periods of time in the agoji's history Mm -hmm. that would not be chafing with the reality of the period quite so much. I don't know. I'd be interested to know what our listeners think about this because I I don't really, like, I don't know. I mean, that's a, making King, I mean, and again, it's like you don't need to write it so that King Geza is an abolitionist by the end of the movie. Like, that didn't need to happen. It's a very Hollywood ending, yeah. Exactly, mm. exactly. Mm. Um, I think that, like, honestly, I didn't mind the creative liberty taken that uh, Naniska was opposed to the slave trade. I think that that, like, is a creative liberty that makes a ton of sense, mm-hmm. and it, like, keeps us with the agoji. It's not, you know, and I know that this piece says that in general the agoji were often complicit in this but i think that the way that it's written of saying like because at the beginning naniska is complicit in it but she is trying to actively 
make it stop. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, that made sense to me. I think it was just the 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 King Gezo uh, creative liberties. That was I think a line for me. Yeah. Um, the creative mm-hmm. liberties within the agoji. Uh, I wasn't as bothered by because I I agree it's like you know you want to get on board with the story but I don't know and especially because the what is the name of the army that um, is in Black Panther we said it earlier sorry I already Um, forgot brain Dora Dora Milaji yeah yeah they they were so they were inspired by the Agoji and so like as we can see in the Black Panther franchise because it's inspired by and not explicitly the Agoji you can take exclusively creative liberties right um but I I think I mean it's it is kind of just like a something that we see in movies a lot that say they're based on a true story there's never any clear disclosure of like this is the creative liberties that we took where the lines are drawn which I don't know I mean I I don't want to imply that I mean I I I don't know historical filmmaking in general is mostly (laughs) fake and I guess that I don't know. I I had I was interested to learn the history because it's especially because the king subjugated his own people really really aggressively. Mm-hmm. Don't give him an abolitionist speech at the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have an interesting perspective. But firstly, Jamie, big ups to you for watching, reading the history, and then going back to watch again because <laughs> I think it gives you a whole new perspective. It's still good um, it's when still you amazing. do that. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I tried to do the same thing um, and read up about the history of the movie because when I wrote about it, people said I was also supporting a rewrite of history. Um, so I went to check myself. And, you know, maybe to frame this with, there's an African proverb that says, until the lion can tell his story, the hunter will always win or the hunter's story will always be it. Mm-hmm. But basically saying, you know, because the lion dies, there's nobody to tell the lion's story. And in this case, it is one of the things I found was that the actual history of the Agogies or most of the actual history of the Agogies that you can find has been written by Europeans. Right. And not necessarily by people from Benin Republic, which is the new, you know, where modern day the Dahomeys mm. are. And so it's hard to say how much of that has been influenced by the Europeans who were mostly the actual slave traders, mm-hmm. um, or at least who received most of the slaves. And that, that just really made me feel like, oh my God, this is deeper than just a criticism of the movie and how much history is in it. Mm. It's also a criticism of where is the history of the Agogies in the world? Yeah. Who has written them? What biases did they hold? Um, what stories did they adjust for their own selves? I'm not a historian, so I haven't like really deep dived into all of this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just gave me a whole new perspective. And it, it's a it's not just about the Agogis. There's so much about African history that I think isn't written by Africans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I personally struggle, you know, when you read about whether it's the slave trade or colonialism or how Christianity and other religion was brought into African countries. It's very hard to find those tales written by Africans mm-hmm. who experienced or whose families experienced. And so it's written by Europeans and it's very hard to know if you should take it hook, line and sinker. Oh, totally. Or if you recognize the bias there. I read on scholarly journal Wikipedia <laughs> that... <laughs> Um, the 
director, Gina Prince-Bythewood, as she was researching for this movie, she had a really hard time finding accounts of the Agoji that were not yes. written by Europeans and like people who were like speaking about these warriors in a very like disparaging and disrespectful way. So she had to like yeah. really dive to find accurate and unbiased accounts. Well, they, even where they even where they found the names Naniska and Nawi, those are yeah, those are from accounts of colonizers which mm. yeah that's a, that's a really good point Ronke where yeah like hi- history and this is like I guess part of the reason we didn't know this story at all mm. um to any degree and so we're like yeah the woman king is probably a documentary which shouldn't be <laughs> the responsibility of a historical epic you know it's like a, that it's such a complicated thing um yeah that's right. that's a really good point but then Ooh, like that's the f- a good proverb too I want to write that down yeah <laughs> <laughs> But then like the flip side of that is that, yes, there are historical liberties and inaccuracies taken with this movie. But just from like a very, I guess, maybe surface level point of view, again, like nothing I learned in school about the slave trade focused at all on what was happening in Africa and none of the Mm -hmm. movies I've watched about slavery have been told from the perspective of like they were always told the movie of the movies I've seen about it it was always told from the perspective of the people who had already been sold into slavery and were working on plantations and you know those are important stories to tell of course but there's so many of them and it kind of erases part of the narrative of like the people who were sold into slavery and it erases like mm-hmm. their lives and their culture in in their homeland pre being stolen and human trafficked so i had never seen anything in media or like again anything i ever learned in school that was focused on the perspective that you'd see in the woman king right so at the very least like this movie is valuable in showing and again, there's inaccuracies along the way, but it's also polling from a lot of history. And to show that perspective was super valuable for me, having never seen anything like that in like American media or American yeah. education. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, it's my this is like, I think, just a preference that I have. this is true of all historical <laughs> movies for me is that. Because Naniska is not a real person who exists, you have a ton of creative liberty. You have a ton of freedom. Every soldier that we see in the Agoji were not real people. And and if you're attributing stuff to a real person and a real leader, I feel like there is a line of where creative liberty is appropriate. But that's Mm -hmm. also just my opinion. I have one more um, chunk from this New Yorker piece I'd like to share. Did, I also didn't know that Lupita Nyong'o was supposed to be in this movie and then she dropped out. Yeah. So this piece is very much speculating as to why, but I just wanted to share this really quick. So from the same New Yorker piece, quote, but you don't have to take my word for it. In 2018, when TriStar announced The Woman King, Lupita Nyong'o had been cast as Nawi. Fresh off the su- success of Black Panther, the Kenyan-Mexican star was apparently so excited about her new role that she visited Benin to make a short documentary on the Agoji. 
Possibly intended to build hype for The Woman King, it also unravels the film's heroic premise, as Nyong'o's Beninese guide disillusions her about the Dahomean legacy. Nyong'o begins her journey enthusing about how dope it is to be in the land of the Amazons. <laughs> She's fine. Okay. Uh, but after a sobering encounter with Gezo's skull-mounted throne, she accepts that, quote, any notion of the Agoji being a beacon of enlightened feminism, like the Dora Milaji in Wakanda, is long gone, unquote. The emotional climax is an interview with the elderly granddaughter of a woman enslaved by the Amazons, who laments that she will never know her family in present-day Nigeria. Quote, what the Agoji did was not good at all, the old woman insists. Not good at all. As the woman sings a Yoruba melody, Nyanko begins to cry, wondering aloud how she can reconcile celebrating the Agoji with the bereavement of their victim's descendants. Um, and then we don't know why she ended up leaving the movie, but um, I also didn't know that short doc existed. So it's very, very complicated. Yeah. Um, and It's almost as if all history is fraught with... <sighs> horror (laughs) yes violence and prejudice again this is like i'm not i'm not arguing against the movie's existence i really Mm -hmm. really enjoyed the movie but i that i don't know that's i think why i struggle with historical epics in general where you're like hmm what Mm -hmm. um (laughs) anyways yeah but i i also want to make sure that we are talking about the other big conversation that surrounded this uh, movie that is very much rooted in the here and now, which is how difficult it was to get this movie made and the very Mr. Hollywood reasons why it was really difficult to get made. So just kind of preliminary information as far as who's behind the camera for this Mm -hmm. movie. It was directed by a black woman, Gina Prince-Bythewood, who we've covered on the show before because she directed Love and Basketball as well as the the old guard secret life of bees beyond the lights she's also directed quite a bit of television like um girlfriends everyone hates chris and the bernie mac show Mm -hmm. the movie was written by dana stevens uh with like story by credits from dana stevens and maria bello bello okay bello bello (laughs) Uh And we're back. <laughs> and we're back to, yes. Um, Dana Stevens, uh, she's a screenwriter who's written a number of things like City of Angels, For Love of the Game, Safe Haven, which I think is a movie adapted from a Nicholas Sparks book. Oh, really? Um, wow, and range. Then, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And then Maria Bello has mostly worked as an actor, and I recognize her from Coyote Ugly. She plays like the <gasps> bar owner in Coyote Ugly. Oh, wow. Um, wow, a lot, lot of range taking place here. Yes. Um, Dana Stevens and Maria Bello are um, both white women. Yes. The whole kind of conceit of this movie happened when Maria Bello, Bello, <laughs> I'm sure it's Bello, Um, Not anymore. In 2015, she went to Benin in West Africa, specifically to learn about the history of the Agoji. It seems like she went on a, or I don't know if she like went and then learned about it or went with the intent of learning about them. Um, Either way, she was like, there's definitely like a story here. There's a, there's a movie we can make about this. 
So she returned to LA, she recruited a producer, later pitched the idea to Viola Davis. They found a In screenwriter. Public, which I yeah, thought was which like really puts I was Viola like, on the spot. What a swing. You're like, <laughs> oh, by the way, you're like, geez, Maria. <laughs> and then, Jamie, I think you might have more information. I, I just have like a very brief overview. I don't know if you have more. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, this, I think we, we've heard this story many times, unfortunately, at this point where this movie was, um, I mean, like a lot of movies, it was in kind of development hell for a long time, starting in 2015. But a lot of it was because of Hollywood and producers, especially the further back you go, uh, doubt that a majority black cast could be successful on a blockbuster scale which is Mm -hmm. unfortunately something that we hear a lot and so you know having Viola Davis involved was really really critical um, because she has such star power there was also a fair amount of um, colorism uh, that Gina Mm -hmm. Prince-Bythewood described in the casting of this movie where before Viola Davis signed on a lot of uh, more light-skinned women were floated as playing Naniska as opposed to what would be historically accurate and fortunately a battle that was won Mm -hmm. but uh, I have a quote from Viola Davis sort of speaking to this point Um, she says the part of the movie that we love is also the part of the movie that is terrifying to Hollywood which is it's different it's new we don't always want different or new unless you have a big star attached a big male star Hollywood studios like it when women are pretty and blonde or close to pretty and blonde all of these women are dark and they're beating Mm. men so there you go. And that was just her talking about why it was it took so long. And we've heard this a few times now because I can't believe like Black Panther came out like almost five years ago now. Um, yeah. But it wasn't until Black Panther was massively successful with mm-hmm. a woman army that was based on the Agoji that this movie got a meaningful push ahead. Mm-hmm. And so... Again, like this is everything is incremental. And and then at that point, I believe Gina Prince-Bythewood signed on. She's said to, I think that she did do some work on the script, but she's not a credited writer. Mm-hmm. But I just, I thought it was like, I, I mean, Gina Prince-Bythewood, like she walks the walk hard. She's so fucking cool. Yeah. Like she advocates for having diversity and giving people opportunities that most filmmakers and most systems are do not prioritize. Um, I wanted Mm -hmm. to share a quote from her about really prioritizing uh, having a lot of diversity um, and women and people of color behind the scenes as well because as we talk Mm -hmm. about all the time that does not always happen. Um, But she says, the thing is for women and people of color, often the resumes are not long because it's about lack of opportunity, not lack of talent. So when you're in my position, it's important to look past that resume. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, she's the coolest. And she also wrote that kick-ass, kick-ass, okay, take that. That that word feels, that word feels very 2013 coded to me for some reason. (laughs) Um, I take that back. She wrote a really good, um, (laughs) 
op-ed when The Woman King was uh, snubbed. It was published in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and she's just like, I mean, she's been historically very outspoken, um, speaking on behalf of marginalized filmmakers, both on behalf of women and on behalf of black women specifically. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that op-ed prompted a lot of discussion that was like very needed. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to just share a quote from that. I believe this mm-hmm. is at the end. Uh, quote, it's a difficult thing to know for every black filmmaker and definitely every black female filmmaker that your work is not valued in the same way. This is a systemic American problem, which is why this felt so insidious and large. It's tough to enter something that's supposed to be judged on merit, but you know it's not a meritocracy, unquote. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, we'll we'll link it. It's a it's a really good piece. And um yeah, so I mean, this, I, unfortunately, like we hear a lot, this movie um, was not easy to get made, but it did end up getting made on a pretty large scale. It has a $50 million budget and it made mm-hmm. around $100 million. It was successful. Mm-hmm. And so once again, Mr. Hollywood is fucking wrong. wrong. What do you know? <laughs> Something I was curious about and kind of surprised by when I learned who wrote the screenplay and developed the story again these these two white women white american women um i I was curious about because we've often talked about movies that we've covered that make an attempt at you know a feminist theme or Mm. are trying to say something about race or racism but the movie doesn't quite stick the landing or go far enough, usually because it was written by someone whose perspective is not, it'll be, you know, written by a white person or a man or both. So, right. so it's there's like often a, a, a for effort, a for effort, but like <laughs> the perspective wasn't quite there and not enough consulting was done. So I'm curious, Ranke, if you have any thoughts on, aside from the very obvious thing of the people of Dahomey speaking English (laughs) right (laughs) aside from that obvious thing were there other things that made it particularly obvious that this movie which is about black women in Africa that it was written by white women from America or does it feel like they did enough research and that they handled the subject matter with enough care that it wasn't super obvious do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So when I first watched the movie, and I've seen it three times, mm-hmm. the first time I thought, oh, gosh, beautiful, powerful women, black women. And then the second time after reading, you know, some of the history and things, I went back and watched it and it was like, hmm, you know, if a black person, I think if a black screenwriter was behind the movie, they would have really brought out Malik and the other guy who died by the shallow water mm. as some of the real villains in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think the way it is, the Portuguese people, whether Malik and the other guy or the ones who were doing the beats, were very... They weren't really the bad people. They were bad, but it was more about the Oyo empire and the Dahomey's promoting slave trade and doing everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the Portuguese were seen as the ones who brought the nice gifts mm-hmm. and who gave access to the sea and whatever, had the shiny boats. It wasn't about the fact that they were the ones in true history Mm. who 
were behind slave trade. Mm -hmm. And this is a whole, it's a bone of contention. You know, there are people who argue that the Africans who sold their people were responsible for slave trade. And there are others who argue that the buyers and mostly the Europeans or sometimes the Americans were responsible for slave trade. So anyway, my point really is that I think we would have seen that inherent bias if the tables were turned. Mm-hmm. And if it was written by black script writers, mm-hmm. you'd see more of how terrible the Portuguese were. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I really, really loved how much of the culture was brought out. The music, mm-hmm. the dance, mm-hmm. sharing blades, like oh. using, using one blade on several people. <laughs> um, the clothing, mm-hmm. the facial expressions, you know. I felt very, as an African woman, as an Nigerian woman, I felt very close to home mm-hmm. by seeing all of that. But again, you know, there's one thing in seeing the movie from face value and just watching it because it's a nice movie. Mm-hmm. And there's another thing in trying to interrogate the history and the race of the people behind it or their gender. Mm-hmm. So for me, face value, excellent movie. I didn't think anything was wrong. I love the culture. I love the display. On reflection, it was a bit of, okay, yeah, maybe this is not really telling the true story of the role <laughs> of the slave traders here right yeah because they really lean into general oba as being like yes the exactly really worst man alive exactly he's the worst bad guy is is it you said that <laughs> earlier on yeah exactly the worst bad which is like a trope we t- that props up in different ways but it did feel like yeah he was implied to be worse than the Portuguese which does not make sense to me Mm -hmm. like I think you can be obviously complicit in the way that I'm coming down hard on the king but like (laughs) you can be complicit but that doesn't uh, yeah that felt a little false equivalence that's a good point yeah yep other than that um again I just really want to see how much I love the culture like just watching them dance Mm -hmm. it wasn't just about moving their bodies it was the power and the energy Mm -hmm. you know and how much their feet were hitting the ground it was the right color of sand of dust Mm -hmm. um and I know this is really really crazy but I remember one time um I traveled to Nigeria I came back to the UK to London and I went to wash my hair and there was a lot of dust from from my trip in my hair and I remember the hairdresser calling her colleagues to come see what Nigerian sand <laughs> looks mm-hmm. like. Because <laughs> it was really red and stuff. And that was really funny to me. I was like, Nigerian sand. <laughs> but on reflection, <laughs> you actually don't find, at least in my parts of London, I've never really seen red sand. Mm-hmm. But the movie had that. Like, I think it was, it went down to the detail of what mm-hmm. um, those communities looked like. The indigo dye boiling in a well somewhere Mm -hmm. the walls maybe not the clothing of the queens but then i mean that was the 1800s i don't think i don't know maybe queens dressed like that then i think that was a bit extravagant for Mm -hmm. west africa i don't i don't think we got the out they got the outfits right for the west african queens Mm -hmm. Uh, but otherwise it was such a beautifully Mm -hmm. done movie in terms of the culture that was displayed oh that's good to hear yeah i also was reading like um just Gina Prince Bythewood, um, I thought it was, I, I was so curious of like what movie she was thinking about. It's just like, I like to know that in general. But she said some of her inspiration, she said when she was staging, oh, it feels bad to phrase it that way. But when Naniska is having flashbacks to being assaulted, mm-hmm. that she 
went to Christine Blasey Ford's testimony a lot in building out mm-hmm. what that was supposed to look and feel like and also um, had the actor who was playing a young Naniska read Roxanne Gay's Hunger, which is a um, mm-hmm. book about her assault. So I thought that was really interesting. And then she also said, what was like, she referenced a couple of, she, I think she referenced like Gladiator as like when she was looking at staging mm-hmm. the fights. I think and Bra- like, Braveheart was another one. Braveheart. I've never seen Braveheart. And Last of the Mohicans, which I haven't seen mm-hmm. and I don't think I want to. But anyways, <laughs> Gladiator. Um, one of the last things I want to say, because we touched on like, women as warriors uh, because we've talked a million times about the tropes surrounding women fighting on screen and like their fight choreography we're talking a lot about it recently on the john wick episode Mm -hmm. Um, i don't think we need to rehash most of it but the one thing that i do want to point out that we haven't really touched on quite as much is the sort of like level of graphicness when it comes to the violence because i feel like Mm. usually when you see women fighting on screen even if they kill someone the violence is not very graphic um like Mm. there's sort of this idea that like oh when women kill people it has to be you know it's either implied or like it can't be bloody yeah it has to be feminine it has to be (laughs) right um or The other thing you'll see is that I feel like women are way more likely to be seen showing mercy than a man where like a woman will maybe be about to kill someone, but then she won't because like that person appeals to her emotions and she feels bad. And so she shows mercy, but the Agoji are like brutally killing people and the movie's not shy about the violence and the blood no, and the they are and, you know <laughs> people's like personal mileage will vary about like how much how graphic they want you know battle scenes to be but in real life a battle like this would be very brutal and bloody and i appreciated that the movie was not afraid to show the women warriors being brutal the way that male warriors in movies get to be brutal all the time. Yeah, it was not toned down no. to be more... Fun. Not at all. That scene where Isoge used her fingers. Oh, yeah. Ooh, Stab yeah. someone's eyes That out. was gory. <laughs> that was... I remember the first time I saw the trailer, everyone was like, oh, my God. Like, Yeah, that felt... I wonder I wonder if that was a historic... I didn't look up the historical accuracy of fighting or how much there's even available about their um methods of fighting but in like the hollywood movie sense it kind of felt like the ponytail moment in birds of prey where like it's this traditionally feminine thing having long nails used to fucking destroy someone mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool yeah. i like I'm, a, I'm like i'm a sucker but i like those moments i thought that was awesome <laughs> yeah um does anyone else have anything they want to talk about mm. yeah i think i covered most of the things i had Cool. I can't believe two hours has gone by. I, 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 I was like, you're like, I don't have an hour. I was like, ooh, you'll be surprised. <laughs> um, well, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Yes. Yeah, a lot. Almost exclusively. Or, well, m- more often than not. More often than it doesn't, yeah. Yeah. Um, between a lot of different combinations of characters. Yeah. 
As far as our nipple scale, the perfect the metric, one true metric. Um, where we rate the movie on a scale of zero to five nipples based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. Hmm. I will give this four, maybe like 4.25 nipples. Hmm. Just a couple things we talked about as far as like, and Ronke, your point about if this movie had been written by a black woman, that they probably would have framed the like European (laughs) slavers as the primary villains and not another African person because Mr. Evil is the like Oyo general and he's like the main villain of the movie. But there's a lot to love about this movie. Um, The dismantling of that strong black woman trope of, you know, always having to be like unrealistically strong and resilient when that expectation is so unfair for black women. The movie deals with serious and painful subject matter. I mean, it's covering things like slavery and human trafficking and war and rape. Um, But the movie also takes time to show black joy, Mm -hmm. uh, largely through the relationships between women. It strikes a really nice balance of the heavier and more painful topics, but also showing a lot of black joy and black love. Yeah, and like the, just showing the full spectrum of humanity, the like human not experience. just tragedy. Right. So um, I appreciated that. Um, you know, there are some historical inaccuracies. And I remember the conversation, like when the movie was released in theaters, there was kind of like a push to ban the movie and like not go see Which it. Which is ridiculous. People's reasoning was like, well, the nation featured in the movie was, they were active participants in the slave trade. And um, while that is true, the movie takes some historical liberties to show different characters fighting against that. And yes, that wasn't historically accurate. I don't know. It's complicated. And I, I don't know yeah, I mean, exactly I don't think it, where to land on it. I, I don't think that tanking the movie's success is going to... <laughs> Unfortunately, because it always feels like, especially movies made by marginalized creators, that like it's Mr. Fucking Mr. Hollywood, a person who exists. Um, (laughs) But like that system is always looking for an example to point to, to be like, see, people don't want to see women leading a movie. People don't want Mm -hmm. to see an all black or a majority black cast in a movie. And yeah, I understand why people would be upset about the historical inaccuracies i think that's very valid but i i don't think that the appropriate response is to be like let's tank this movie <laughs> like i right. yeah i don't know yeah it's tricky but um yeah there's a lot to love about this movie the the focus on the female relationships the focus on the female warriors because historical action epics like this are never about women and especially never about black women And again, to represent them as having a range of personalities and emotions and to get to see their physical strength and combat skills and see them kicking ass Mm -hmm. to go back to kick ass as a phrase. (laughs) Yeah, we're living in the past. Um, I like that you see a woman, Naniska, be recognized for her contributions and skills and leadership and be elevated to this powerful position of woman king. 
I like that you see another woman, Nawi, be rebellious and challenge the status quo and the patriarchal, sexist double standards they have to live by. Just a lot of cool stuff happening. So I will give the movie four and a quarter nipples. Mm-hmm. I'll give one to Viola Davis. I'll give one to the director, Gina prince Bythewood. Um, I'll give one to... Lashana Lynch, who plays Izogi, and I'll give one to Tuso Mbedu, who plays Nawi. I really loved all of those performances. I'm going to go, I guess I'm going to go four. I will be honest, I the historical stuff does bug me a little bit, especially after reading a little bit about the Lupita Nyong'o um, short doc in which, um, right. you know, the descendants of people who had been victimized were not okay with it. And I think that those opinions should carry and matter. And and again, it's, it's I don't know, this, this genre is never going to be a historically pure genre. Like I can't think mm-hmm. of a historical epic that is famous for being accurate. They're mostly famous for being epic and often famous for glorifying people who were not that great. And I think that this movie does a lot to avoid the trappings of the historical epic, but I also attributing a totally, uh, an almost completely 180 political philosophy to a person that actually existed. It does bug me a little bit. I'm also a history head. I don't know. Mm. However, to echo everything you just said, Caitlin, I mean, it's a fucking good movie. And I, and I, it's, you know, centering majority black woman cast. I feel like you often hear when movies are centered around black women that there's often colorism involved. That doesn't seem to have mm-hmm. been the case here. We get to see them fight and, you know, be brutal and ruthless. And we be also get good to see them war. be people. Be good at war, which is what they mm-hmm. should have called it. The good at war <laughs> uh woman woman. (laughs) yep uh but you also get to see their humanity you get to see their different personalities their different relationships Mm -hmm. their conflicts with each other you get you get it all in a way that is very 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 unusual and i think that this movie is just like good and also the fact that it was successful means that hopefully um we can see more african historical epics that come out in hollywood and Mm -hmm. maybe uh they're you know again we're always talking about on the show like how progress is incremental it was our idea we were the first people to say this correct yes it's true but that the success of the woman king can lead to an even better possibly more historically accurate um african epic Mm -hmm. uh i like those odds i feel i feel Mm -hmm. good about and it's just yeah really beautiful well-performed movie and uh shouldn't have been uh snubbed snubbed in the way it was across um and i feel like well you know there has been incremental progress in those systems and also um oh my gosh danielle deadweiler is that her name um who was in till that movie also got mm, massively mm-hmm. snubbed and i'm glad that gina prince bythewood is always 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 using her not that she should have to but she's always using her platform to mm-hmm. um, bring attention to how disrespected black women still are in entertainment and in general today yes. so i'm gonna go four nipples uh i guess i'm gonna give one to gina prince bythewood uh, i'm gonna give one to lashana lynch because she's my fave i love so her good. 
I'm going to give one to Viola Davis and I'm going to give one to Lupita Nyong'o mm. because I'm intrigued and I hope she uh, talks about this someday. Yeah. Franke, how about you? First thing, are we allowed to give Nichols to men? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. You do whatever, yeah. <laughs> okay, no, that, that's just by the way. Um, I mean, I, I share the reflections from both of you. I really enjoyed the movie, so I will give it a maybe a 4.5 because I'm really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and taking away the 0.5 for that history reason, um, I feel like it's a movie to enjoy and watch. But then there's also the risk that it perpetuates the wrong story of history. Right. So, you know, while the uh, the writers can give the excuse that this is just a movie and it's fictionalized and yada, yada. I mean, the people like us that didn't study these things in school, this is the way we learn it. Mm-hmm. And if people yeah. don't go the extra mile of going to find the actual history, this is all the history they know. And of course, you know, there are people who are actual victims of some of the work that the Agoje women did and the Dahomey community and the old oil empire and them having to watch this, like Lupita mentioned in her interview and maybe documentary, them having to watch this and see that their roles as victims have actually been erased, Mm -hmm. I think is really really unfair. Mm -hmm. Because this is a movie, at least a postscript or something at the end to say, this is really fictionalized. We've done this, we've done that, or we pay respect to the men and women who died as a result of the slave trade or whose lives were changed as a result of the slave trade. I think the movie should have done that at the end of it. I really love the culture, like I said earlier on. Um, and I want to emphasize about the black women. Like, it is so powerful to see dark-skinned black women. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we could take this for granted in some ways, but in other ways, it is. this is not something you normally see in Hollywood. Um, most times when black women are featured in Hollywood, it's played by black women who have maybe a white father or a white mother. And so, you know, they're lighter skin. Mm-hmm. And by no fault of theirs, I think they're really beautiful. But the narrative that dark-skinned black women are not beautiful needs to be changed. And I think this movie has contributed to changing that narrative. I mean, mm-hmm. despite how powerful and strong they looked, the Akoji women came off as extremely beautiful oh, yeah. to me. So um, I really love the movie for that. I love the goriness, um, not because I enjoy seeing blood, but, you know, that confidence and power that the women were allowed to show mm-hmm. um, was really great. The Rebellion of Naui, again, you know, thumbs up um, mm-hmm. for writing that in. Cause, and it wasn't just about dating or being with Malik or flirting with men. It was also about challenging Naniska mm-hmm. and standing up to her in different ways. Um, so I really, really love that. Um, in the sense of fiction, I loved um, King Getzo. Mm-hmm. And I loved him mm-hmm. because... You could see that he was listening to Naniska. He respected her mm-hmm. in places where, you know, in the king's cabinet where the other men, the other, the head of the male warriors would try to undermine mm-hmm. Naniska. You could see him, you know, speaking up for her in, in some cases and actually taking her advice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really good to see that happen. I think that's fiction. Yeah, he went to those palm oil fields. He's exactly. like, oh. This could be something. Let's try it. I guess. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he was actually listening to her, which is quite unusual. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, my 4.5 
can I give Tony Foster Viola Davis? Oh, oh my yeah, God. Of course. Oh gosh. She is such <laughs> a powerful, strong, confident, beautiful woman. And I'm probably a bit biased now because I watched Woman King and then I read her book, um, Finding Me. Mm-hmm. I think that's the title. Oh, I can't and I, I just feel like I found another side of Viola that I can't let go of. So two nickels for her. Mm-hmm. Of course, Isakia, um, she was really the big sister, but also more experienced soldier, powerful soldier, mm-hmm. confident, but also empathetic, you know, going back to get Naoi at the end and then getting shot at that point. Um, of course, Naoi, I really, really loved Naoi. Mm-hmm. Young, confident, the scene where she pushed the man who hit her, um, the one who was trying to get married mm-hmm. to her, right mm-hmm. in front of her parents. Um, this is 2023, and I think there'll be a handful of African women or African girls who can actually fight an elderly person in front of their parents. So her doing that in the 1800s, big ups to her rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, the point <laughs> five <laughs> is to King Gezo, Um, because I really like John Boyega. Um, he's of Nigerian origin, so that was really good to see. And I think he put in so much effort in trying to do the right accent. Like, Mm. and people have Mm -hmm. criticized him for this accent, but I think that was a lot of effort. It's not easy to, um, I don't know where that accent is from. I don't think it's not, it's definitely not Nigerian. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's Beninois from New Day or today's Dahomey. Um, but anyway, I think he did make an effort in speaking the right accent, but also because he supported Naniska through it. So 4.5, mm-hmm. I think, is what I'd give. Very nice. I think oh, I yeah. forgot to give my quarter nipple away, so I'm going to give it to Mr. Purple. <laughs> Mr. Purple! Oh, of course um... we can't forget Mr. Purple. <laughs> <laughs> give us That's a Netflix true. series with Mr. Purple. Was he implied to be a eunuch? Because there's a reference to oh, men being some of the men in the palace being eunuchs, and I'm honestly f- maybe filling in a lot of blanks myself. But I was like, I wonder if he's supposed to be a eunuch. I'm not sure. Anyway, I love him no matter what. He's the best. Um, well, Bronky, thank you so much for joining us. What a treat yes, this has you. been. Everyone read Runke's piece about this movie, and we'll link it, of course, along with the other things we'd mentioned. We'd link, where can people um, follow you online and check out anything else you want them to check out? On Twitter, at Oyeronke underscore, and I think you'll link it, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, um, I think Twitter is the best place to find me, um, awesome. crawling and being quiet and tweeting about the books I read. <laughs> love it yes the best use of the internet possible exactly uh, <laughs> you can find us all the regular places on instagram and twitter at Bechtelcast. you can join our patreon aka matreon at mm-hmm. patreon.com slash Bechtelcast, where for five bucks a month you get two additional episodes every single month how about oh. that this month we're doing uh, dolls coming dolls. to life we're doing life size and we're doing Megan. So really all killer, no filler on the Matreon this mm-hmm. month. Uh, yeah. And you can check out our merch at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast, where you can find all of your merchandising needs, all designed by a one Jamie Loftus. Wow. Woo, good for her. And with that, let's go... Um, I mean, if we want to have a light afternoon, you know, just like tear shark teeth out of each other's shoulders. Yeah. That Let's do that. Yes. 
<laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> this episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX, now playing, and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.